Uh, we're going to start uh, a book this week uh, called First Peter. First Peter. We want to look, don't we, uh, at who Peter was and when this book was written and what's the emphasis. And so uh, before we begin actually in the scriptures, let's just read the first line or uh, the, all the way through the scriptures or the first chapter. Let's just read the first line in First Peter 1 here. And then I'm going to pray and uh, uh, ask the Lord to help us and guide us while we study. And uh, we'll learn who Peter is and uh, uh, what this book is about, who it's written to, when it was written. And uh, we're going to learn about what the first chapter is telling us, okay? So uh, uh, let's do this. Let's read First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and then we will um, pray. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The word of the Lord from 1 Peter by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and uh, for bringing us here together, uh, whether it be in person or here online through the technology. Lord, either way, we can lift up your name. We can search your scriptures, and by your spirit, Lord, you could knit these things to our being and give us the resource and ability and gra- by, by your grace to leave these things out or live these things out, excuse me. And so we need your help, Lord. We ask that you would guide us and direct us into all truth as we read and study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the New Testament letters, most of them written by Paul, and we've been uh, examining many of those, of course, uh, uh, some other things as well. But here today, uh, we uh, change to a different person. His name's Peter, and uh, most of you know this man, uh, uh, and we love him, I think, and we uh, uh, enjoy, at least I do, the fact that he's very much like myself impetuous, foot-in-mouth disease, oftentimes say things and charges ahead without really thinking or praying about it and just wanting to do things for the Lord. And uh, oftentimes that gets him off the, wrong, or off the right track and onto the wrong track. But boy, it's refreshing because when you examine Peter's life, uh, God did a mighty work in Peter. In fact, Peter became one of the leaders and the spokesperson, probably, uh, not probably, he was for the 12 disciples. Well, you know him as three different names. He's called three different names uh, in the Bible, and maybe even a fourth if you want to think of it that way. Well, he's called Simon, his Jewish name. Uh, He's renamed by the Lord Cephas, which is Aramaic, or Peter, which is Greek, which means rock, rock. And that's funny, isn't it? Because uh, how could he be a rock when he was so uh, impetuous, foot in mouth? And yet the Lord saw something in Peter and knew that he could work with what Peter had. Isn't that a blessing for us? Or or, or could work with Peter, even with the uh, mistakes or the, uh, you know, the... uh, 
the things that uh, bother us as people about ourselves, like not be, uh, saying the right thing at the right time, not uh, uh, doing the right thing at the right time, and yet the Lord saw through that and recognized that Peter could be and would be a rock, right? So we know him as uh, one of the 12. He's from a little place called Bethsaida. We learn that in the first chapter of John. That's just a little um, a ways away from a place called Capernaum, which is on the north uh, part or the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. But he was a little farther north than that. And um, you know this. He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman along with James and John. We learn that in Luke chapter 5. We remember that uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter was uh, uh, brought to the Lord, or, uh, the Lord or by his brother, Andrew. Andrew, his brother, called uh, Peter to follow Christ. Remember that? And uh, uh, you, you know the uh, story of when he, uh, uh, the Lord, produced a miraculous catch of fish there again in Luke 5. And uh, 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 Peter left everything uh, to follow Christ. How about this one? Maybe you d- knew this or maybe you didn't know. Peter was married. Peter was married. You could look in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 5, but he was a, a married guy. He, again, was a fisherman. He was part of that inner circle that Jesus had, along with James and John. Do you remember this? He took James and John and Peter to raise Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5. He was uh, privileged to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John, Peter was, in Matthew 17. He was also part of the privileged uh, trio who were uh, to enter into the Garden of Gethsemane, go farther into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. So he was part of that inner circle, and he was one who, you remember, uh, uh, walked on the Sea of Galilee, but when he took his eyes off Jesus, he sunk, right? He's also one that denied Jesus, at the most, we would say, the most critical time for Jesus when he was marching to the cross and the trials of Jesus. And if you were traveling with us uh, the night before he was uh, uh, betrayed, if you were traveling with us during uh, uh, Easter, uh, we went through all of those trials leading up to the crucifixion and here Peter... um, betrayed him, uh, denied him. And uh, we see uh, in the last part of the book of John this great restoration that Jesus did for Peter and with Peter. And it's beautiful. And he offers, uh, 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 in this book, Peter does, he offers in the last chapter of this book his greetings from Babylon. Chapter 5, verse 13, he says, uh, greetings from Babylon. And so where was this uh, uh, letter written from? Well, one idea is that it was from Babylon in Iraq, the Babylon you would think of that, uh, you know, the Babylonian Empire was from up in the Euphrates River Valley or area up there. And so uh, that might be a possibility. And there was another Babylon that was referred to down in uh, Africa, Uh, It was called Babylon because there was a Roman garrison there. And uh, uh, some people point to that as where this 
uh, uh, letter was written from. Another uh, idea is that this letter was written from Rome and that uh, as uh, the early disciples did, they were using a code word, Babylon, uh, for what Rome stood for. And that was, you know, um, the, um, uh, you know the, the sinfulness of man and the debauchery and all the bad things that were going on. Well, uh, probably what best fits in that is that this letter was being written from Rome because there's no indication that Peter was ever in uh, either of the two areas, but there is certainly indication that he was uh, in Rome. He was in Rome. And he, he also, uh, during this time uh, that this uh, letter is being written, Paul was in Rome. Do you remember that Paul, uh, as he was taken from um, the Sea of Galilee uh, uh, on the shore there, uh, and he was marched or he was sent to Rome to go on trial, do you remember he presented his case before a Roman council, and he was then let go from imprisonment, and then a second time uh, he was tried, and he was, he was martyred, he was martyred, and uh, uh, he was killed in around 64 A.D., and we know that uh, Peter was probably martyred, and that's what happened to him ultimately, sometime soon thereafter, after Paul. And uh, he was martyred uh, in, in Rome. And so this letter was uh, probably coming from uh, his time in Rome. And uh, you know the story behind Peter's uh, martyrdom is that he was, uh, felt it was unworthy to be crucified. And that's the way in which uh, they were going to do it to him, or kill him. Uh, the Roman authorities, and so he asked that he be crucified if they were going to do it upside down. And so extra-biblical sources say that that's how uh, Peter uh, was, in fact, uh, put to death for his faith. Well, know this, too. Uh, Paul generally writes to the Gentiles, or not writes. uh, Paul uh, generally focused his ministry on the Gentiles. Peter uh, focused his ministry on the Jews. You can look that up in Galatians 2. 1 to, through 10, and uh, we see that he was, uh, Peter here was more of kind of like, how would you say it, more of a local missionary. He'd go on short-term mission trips as opposed to Paul, who would travel all around. And Peter was uh, more so stood, or uh, yeah, stood very much close to the area and the church in Jerusalem. And then, yes, in the book of Acts, starting around uh, chapter 8 or so, he then starts to venture out on some missionary trips. He does do missions, uh, but it's just a little bit of a, uh, of a different emphasis, a little bit of a different emphasis. His ministry, the Lord told him, was to strengthen his brethren, Luke 22, and to tend the flock, to feed the sheep, right? John 21, we know that. So who wrote this? Well, Peter wrote this. Uh, When did he write it? Sometime uh, right around 64, 65, 66 or so uh, A.D., uh, very soon uh, after Paul was martyred. Uh, From where did he write this? Well, it looks like he probably wrote this Uh, letter from Rome. And uh, uh, where was he sent out? What was his emphasis? Well, it was the Jews, but again, not just the Jews. For both Paul and Peter, they were uh, Jews and Gentiles, no matter what their emphasis was. But Galatians 2 tells us that Peter was uh, to uh, minister to the Jews. 
one other thing, or not one other thing, but one great thing that I think we should discuss before we get going. And that's this, is that you see uh, that this book is focusing on and talking about suffering. Suffering. Why would uh, Peter write about suffering so much? Well, first of all, off, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ told them and tells us, not there might be, but there will be tribulation in this world for his followers. There will be tribulation in this world for his followers. But also, something happened in 64 AD in Rome that many of you have probably heard of. In 64 AD, the emperor was a man named Nero, and uh, he wanted to be thought of as a great emperor. And so, uh, in, I think, midsummer, uh, 64 AD, Rome began to burn. It began to burn, and there were stories and histories written that Nero just stood and watched as Rome burned. In fact, there are some indications that he, when the, uh, uh, the fire began to uh, go out, he would send out teams to revive the fire while he stay, stayed in the palace. And after all of that, he um, uh, got some flack, some real pushback from his people, some real negative press, uh, so to speak, from his people. And he was looking, therefore, uh, for somebody or a group of people to blame so that uh, his people wouldn't think he was the bad guy. And originally, uh, Jews weren't uh, uh, tampered with or messed with by the Romans. See, because, uh, or excuse me, I said Jews, but Christians weren't tampered with or messed with by the Romans because uh, the Romans just thought of them as another Jewish sect. But then... Uh, when uh, Christianity started to spread in Rome, uh, uh, they kind of started to upset the apple cart, like I like to say, uh, uh, and uh, uh, were creating quite a stir even there in Rome. And so Nero, at this time, as uh, he's looking for somebody to pin this on, looks around and uh, finds easy target in the Christians. Well, why were they an easy target? Well, they talked about things like this. They talked about agape feasts. Agape feasts, and uh, that was twisted into sexual orgies, and of course, the Christians weren't participating in that. And so, uh, uh, that's one thing. And uh, another thing is, remember, Jesus talked about, uh, this is my blood, and this is my body. And so, uh, there were rumors being spread that this uh, group of people, the Christians, uh, were um, cannibals and were doing really bad, evil, uh, pagan, uh, difficult things and engaging in these sexual orgies and uh, they need to be uh, wiped out. And so what Nero did is he started to blame them. And he, you, you know the stories, many of you. He would uh, roll them in pitch or tar and put them up and light them Christians, so that they would be the lamps in the streets, and uh, they would burn them, or he would uh, sew them inside of uh, animals, uh, dead animals, and uh, turn wild animals on the dead animals, and then they would be torn apart uh, uh, as they were inside these dead animals by the uh, live animals, limb by limb, and it was really bad, and there was really some persecution. And there are some historical writings that say that this Roman persecution started to spread in the Roman provinces. 
And that's important because uh, he's writing to pilgrims of the dispersion to Pontus, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which are provinces that are controlled by Rome, but are in Asia Minor, or Turkey, as you would know it. And so, uh, uh, Peter, apparently, when you start to read this letter, it's going to become real clear to you real quick that he's writing about suffering, and he's preparing the hearts of the churches even in the dispersion, we'll talk about that in a minute, even those who aren't in Rome, he's preparing the Christians for suffering. And so uh, let's think about this. Wow, what a topic to uh, bring, up, bring up or discuss or think about here on Mother's Day. Yes, maybe it is a tough thing, and yet uh, oh, I think when you get through with this first chapter, you might have a different feel or thought about this. See, because moms can be a great teacher uh, to the ones that they love. We said that. We showed you the scriptures. We're to honor them, and then uh, they are to be great teachers in the Lord to the ones they love. And, but in order to be, listen to this, in order to be one who's graceful under fire, grace under fire, I think it's important that we know or must know where we've come from and know who we are and what has happened to us and then where we are headed. In other words, if we have a real solid foundation of who we are in Christ, moms, dads, or anybody out there, when you're entering into the fire or the suffering or the trial or the persecution, when you know who you are and you have a real solid sense of who you are in Christ, even in the trial, you can be, quote-unquote, victorious. And so we want to take a look at this today uh, because is there any more appropriate time than now? We have people suffering from anxiety over the pandemic or fear over the pandemic, or people are suffering from losing a loved one, or uh, people are suffering from losing income, uh, or uh, people have gotten bad news of all kinds of uh, things, and they're hurting, and we're hurting. And so what better uh, um, uh, letter to study now on Mother's Day to show us how to be graceful in the midst of suffering. That's what this is about. And it's going to talk about uh, uh, not only suffering, it's going to, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about hope. Uh, don't people need hope? Do people need hope? Moms, dads, born-again Christians, we have a hope that resides in us that we're to tell others. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's also going to expand on, you're going to be blown away here, by grace. We've been talking a lot about grace over the last several weeks here. Grace is not just to get into the family of God. It's also to live all day, every day, uh, as a Christian. So we'll uh, be hitting on that as well. Finally, one other theme. It's the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe, without trying to stir up anything or to uh, make anyone nervous or scared... Uh, who's uh, out there, but for the Christian, I believe that uh, Jesus is coming back soon. And that's a comforting thought. 
And I think uh, that many of the things that we see here in our world today uh, shows us that. Okay, that's all of my intro. How about that? And let's dig in uh, to what this uh, book is telling us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, I've read it uh, two times, to all those different cities, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now there's a lot in there, folks, and I'm going to try and break it down very quickly. Apostle means a messenger or a sent one. And in a uh, faraway sense, I guess far away because it was several years ago, uh, there were 12 apostles. But in a more generic sense, you see, anyone who's a messenger of Jesus Christ is that, uh, an apostle. But no, of course, we're not an apostle in any official way. We're just sent people. We're like Peter in that we're sent out, but we're sent out of Jesus Christ. When you leave this building or leave your house or are there in your home washing dishes or um, uh, cooking or doing hobbies or whatever you're doing, you're a sent one to your children and your family of Jesus Christ. And then when you go out the door, guess what you are? You're a messenger. You're bringing glad tidings, the good news to people everywhere we go. Isn't that beautiful? See, what I love about this book uh, is so fascinating. You know how when you study, uh, uh, or excuse me, you start to write a paper, I was going to go like this, but nobody writes it out anymore. You actually are on your laptop and you're writing the paper. What do you have all around you? You have books or you have websites and you're trying to get more sources. And, and the paper becomes very sterile and clinical. In here, this book or this, excuse me, this letter, Peter's writings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you can tell wasn't like that. This is a letter born out of, look, look at this, blunders. Anybody ever felt like they blundered or made a mistake? Blunders, denial of the Lord, taking the eyes off of Jesus as they walked the Christian faith, even for a person who actually saw and felt and shook hands with and hugged and laughed with and cried with, a person who saw him in person. One who, by human standards, would say we messed up. And yet, the Lord had done such a mighty work in the life of Peter, that he couldn't help by, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of a love letter <laughs> being poured out, forged by a relationship with his Savior, Jesus Christ. See how beautiful that is? Guess what, messenger, sent one. That's what you're to give people. Oh yes, we're to study to show ourselves approved. We should study apologetics. Of course we should. And engage people where they are. But what really is authentic is when it comes from your relationship with Jesus, the good news, where you've come from and where you are now and what he's accomplished in your life. Oh man, that's powerful. What are we called to be? You're called to be a witness you get up on the stand and you tell what you've seen and heard. You're not called to be a, a prosecuting attorney. You're not called to convince and argue. 
You're called to just be a witness and let the Lord do his work as a messenger of God. Yes, we should study, show ourselves approved. Yes, we always have um, uh, a ready defense, of course. But man, when it comes from the authentic place of just knowing Jesus and him helping you through all of these tough times and blunders by his grace, then it becomes real and powerful to people. Well, he writes to these pilgrims. These pilgrims. Uh, uh, Paul tells us in Philippians, remember, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is a fascinating word. It's a Greek word. I can't pronounce it. You'll laugh if I do, but I'll try. It's parochus, parochus, or something like that. And the direct derivative of that word, listen to this, is perish. A parish. P-A-R-I-S-H, not P-E-R, a parish. It's a place where people gather with their eyes on Jesus. Why? Because they're just passing through this life and going to the next. That's who he's writing to, and all of us are that in Christ. Well, he's writing to the dispersion. That's the word that's used for Jews who were exiled and then outside the land of Israel. You know that, right? But... I'm not so sure he's just writing to Jews because he also refers to Gentiles here. 1 Peter 1.18, 2.10, And so most people believe that what he's saying here is he's writing to the Gentile churches in all of these different places. And oh yes, there are some Jewish believing Christians. So what's the, what's the verdict? Well, here's what he's doing. He's writing to, yes, all of them, the Gentiles and the Jews. And he's using this word uh, to include them here as people who've been scattered and yet are thriving in the churches in which they fellowship and praise the Lord. You get it? And so he's writing to these places in uh, uh, Turkey, Asia Minor. It's fascinating if you follow it on a map. He's just writing in a circle so that the, the letters could be, or the same letter could be delivered. It's uh, in, a, in a circular way so that the place where he landed, he can come back to. Isn't that fascinating? And so he, uh, or what is this letter for? It's to be read in the church, the church, the body uh, of Christ. And that's us for sure. So we will read it. Uh, to the pilgrims, according to the foreknowledge of God. Does that freak you out, the foreknowledge of God the Father? Does that freak you out? You wonder, okay, so what is it? Uh, uh, am I a Christian because of the foreknowledge and, uh, and the election of God, or am I a Christian because of my free will? And I would say, uh, based on my studies, that the answer is yes. I don't believe that the two are mutually exclusive. But there's this, uh, he's writing to the elect, the chosen ones. You see, folks, listen to this, and we'll get into the foreknowledge of God in a minute. This writing to the elect should just stir your heart when you're in an affliction, when you're in a suffering, when you're in a trial. Why? Because you're the chosen ones. The Lord is, or excuse me, Peter here, by the Lord, by the Spirit, is trying to encourage the people who are about ready to go through devastating suffering or could be going through devastating suffering, or will go through devastating suffering just because they live in a fallen world. And he calls them the elect, the chosen ones. I almost don't even have to explain it, do I? 
You know what happens when you're chosen for something? Do you know what happens when you're chosen? Or just f- remember the time that you weren't chosen. How did you feel? And here, he's trying to encourage them in the affliction, and he's their elect according to what? This foreknowledge of God. So what are we talking about? Well, let's talk about this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You know that. Uh, that's a big fancy word uh, that means he's uh, in control of all things. He's in control of all things. And not only is he control of all things, but he has the power to accomplish all things. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's before all things. He's, cre- uh, he's created all things. He upholds all things. He's above all things. And he's in charge of all things. He, listen to this now. This is important. He's in charge of even kings or politics, nations, the events of the world. The Bible tells us he's in charge of angels. And I want to just tell you this. He's even in charge, uh uh-oh, here it comes, of human decisions. Yet, listen to this, as God is sovereign, his sovereignty, you must know this, is based in his attributes. He's all-powerful. He's all-wise. He's all-present. He's all good. He's all knowing, as I said. And so listen listen to this definition from Norman Geisler, famous apologist on God's sovereignty versus free will. You ready for this? God, with infallible foreknowledge, can sovereignly will to accomplish uh, uh, things through free will that he gives to his creatures. Pretty interesting, but it's, uh, or, or pretty uh, short, but it's packed full of it, uh, of meaning. Here it is. God, with infallible foreknowledge, can sovereignly will to accomplish things through free will he gives to his creatures. God is sovereign, he goes on, but in his sovereignty, he has willed that we are free. He's able, in his foreknowledge, to understand, know, and work with free will of people in the, what we consider, future. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that power? If he wasn't able to handle those free will choices, first, it wouldn't be love. And second of all, he wouldn't be all-powerful. Get it? And so when you read this, this is a comforting doctrine. This is a comforting doctrine. Because he's chosen us according to the foreknowledge of God. By the way, there's a place in the Bible that foreknowledge also means the love and care of God. Take that one. So it's beautiful. It's loving care of this foreknowledge of God the Father. Of God the Father, the elect, who in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, let me reorient you. This writer is writing to people who are going to probably, yes, they will, not probably, they're going to go through tribulation. And some of them are going to go through tribulations like were happening back in Rome. Those devastating things where they rolled them in tar and lit them on fire just for being Christians, etc. And he understands that these people are going to go through some very difficult times. So he's writing 
to, um, he's writing to tell them where they've been or to remind them where they've been, who they are in Jesus Christ, and what's coming. So that in the middle of a trial or a suffering, they can live in it. We'll see it here in a minute. Anybody here listening ever been in the midst of suffering or trials? Well, then this is for you. And moms, this is for you. Because there are going to be tough things that moms going to de- uh, need to deal with. Anybody out there as a mom ever had to worry about their child? That's real suffering. Anybody out there had to worry about their husband or somebody else? That's suffering. And we hurt for that. Okay, what's this all about? Why would he say to the elect, according to the knowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the uh, Spirit? Sanctification means, listen, this is starting to know who you are. The word means you're set apart. You're unique, like your Father in heaven is unique. Your Father in heaven is holy. That word means, yes, moral purity, but it also means set-apartness, uniqueness. And here, this is saying you've been sanctified by the Spirit. You've been set apart. You've been saved. Uh, uh, and, and it tells us uh, that you're forgiven, and so you are a person who is a forgiven person. By the blood here, you see it, By the sprinkling of the blood, all your sins have been wiped away. There's no more guilt and shame. You have a clean slate with God the Father by the Son, Jesus Christ, and His blood. And now the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life to give you resource to live the day. That's who you are. And you've been set apart by the Spirit. By the way, notice here how expertly Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, interweaves the ministry of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here he says, by the foreknowledge of God, you've been uh, called the elect uh, through the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. One God, three persons. So here you have it. You've been set apart by the Spirit for obedience and uh, for obedience. That's what you're to do. What are we to be doing? We're to be obeying the Lord. Why are we to be obeying the Lord? Because in His grace, in His grace, by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, you and I, we, we have a clean slate, and now we have resource and ability to obey. And that, Philippians 3 tells us, is the safest place to be when we find God's grace. It's the safest place to be. In fact, uh, I had you turn there last time, but we'll uh, revisit it again. Turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. It says this in verse 1, Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. Where am I getting grace from in this, in this uh, uh, one verse here? Rejoice in the Lord. I'm getting it right there. Because that uh, is a word uh, that is derived from the Greek word for grace, charis. So when we have grace, we can be rejoicing people. And for me to write this, Paul says, isn't boring or tedious, but for you, listen, 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 it's safe. Where's the safest place to be, the healthiest place to be, the greatest place to be? It's under the blood of Jesus Christ, which is 
God's grace, covered by the blood, and now uh, brought to new life in the Spirit, which is a set-apart life, a set-apart life. You're going to look different than the world. You're going to need to be to go through suffering. Well, he says here, grace to you. Uh, That's a very Greek way of uh, greeting somebody. And then he says, and peace, a very Jewish way, shalom, to greet somebody. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. What a great prayer. How about we pray that for our Uh, the people we're praying for this week. But as you know, when grace enters in, we can have peace. Moms, dads, Christians, people who aren't Christians. You understand, if you're outside of Christ, there is no peace. There is no peace. A vacation won't calm you down. You know why? You're going to have to come back from it. More money is not going to calm your nerves. Guess why? Because money can go here to here. We learned that this last couple months. People's, you know, IRAs or retirement funds have gone from here to here. It could go in a minute. Uh, If we're basing our peace on things and situations, we'll never be peaceful. But here, the grace of God leads to peace. Why? Because through grace, we can, the book of Romans says, have peace with God and by grace... Philippians tells us we can have the peace of God. And oh my, are we looking for peace. And we're talking about this here on, uh, in, in a time that's very disconcerting. And we're talking about it here on Mother's Day. What do moms want to uh, uh, show and be an example of to the people they love? They want to be uh, examples of people who have grace and peace in the middle of the fire. You need to know who you are in Christ so that that will happen. Well, he goes on and he says this. I'm going to read from 3 to 12, uh, verses 3 to 12 in 1 Peter 1. So go back there. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, not just mercy, abundant, has begotten us again to a living hope, not just hope, a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are, mark it, kept by the power of God through faith, a for salvation ready to be, ready to be revealed, excuse me, in the last time. You see the theme there? In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be. You have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice, What with? With joy, inexpressible, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, uh, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the, there it is, grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time 
the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. This uh, is high and holy ground we're treading, folks. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. I want you not to skip through something here. Please, let's not. Remind me not. I, I need reminded on this. Not to skip through the first word. Blessed. What an amazing privilege it should be to us who find ourselves born into this world as sinners, to be able to praise and bless and give honor to the creator of all the universe, God himself. We are blessed because we can bless, if that makes sense. We're blessed because we can bless the one who's done it all. We walk around and we skip over this. I do when I read it. And when I take time to come back and pause and read it, what a great honor it is that the Lord would come out of heaven, says in Psalm 22, like a lowly worm, like a worm. He would stoop to this low, a baby in a slobbery manger with diapers and, you know, tired and, uh, you know, running around and all that sort of thing and hitting his you know, hand with a hammer or whatever. And he, he came to us so that we could get back to the Father. And now we just sometimes skip over the fact that we have the privilege, the privilege to bless God through Jesus Christ. Let's not do that. Let's not skip over blessing. See, here's what uh, Peter is writing to us. When you're about ready to enter into the fire, you know what we want to do? We want to call 75 people and see what we should do. We want to uh, manipulate the situation so we can avoid the fire. And uh, I'm not making fun. I do that too. The fire is not fun. The tribulation's not fun. Suffering's not fun. But here, I think what the writer is saying in a big sense is when you're about ready to enter the fire, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. Remember who you were, how far he's come, so that you could come and live with God for eternity. Whew. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, it's not just mercy, folks, it's not just mercy that uh, God has. It's abundant mercy that he pours out. The mercy that a holy God would welcome a sinful man like me. That he, a holy God would welcome a sinful man. He held back from me the things that I deserved. And now that I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I become covered by the blood. And he brings me to life everlasting. And it's not just mercy, it's abundant mercy. There's nothing um, I've ever done or ever have done or will do that he can't cover by the blood. You see it? It's abundant. 
you're never outside of God's mercy. According to his abundant mercy, look at what he's done. He's begotten us again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we've become uh, we become new creations. Uh, John 3, you know the story. We've been born again. We've been born again. We've been born again. And now we're new creations because of his abundant mercy. He's begotten us again. And you know what's amazing? He hasn't just begotten us again to hope. He has done that. <laughs> He's begotten us again to a living hope. A living hope. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's alive. He's alive, and He makes intercession for us. He paves the way, so to speak, as the great high priest for man to have access to God. He's begotten us again to a living hope. Now let me just stop right there. Hope, big theme of the Bible. Or excuse me, big theme of 1 Peter. Let's define hope. Hope isn't, I'm reading from Warren Wearsby right now, hope isn't, uh, I hope so. True Christian hope isn't, I hope so, like, I hope it happens. That's not the hope we're talking about, according to Warren Wearsby. I think he's right. It is the confident and assurance, or it's the confidence and assurance of future glory and blessing. Let me say it again. The hope that we have is the confident an assurance or confidence and assurance of future glory and blessing. And it actually says in 1 Timothy 1, 1 and Colossians 1, 27, that Jesus Christ himself is our hope. Because of Jesus, he's alive, living hope. We have confidence and assurance of future glory and blessing. So think about it. When you're about ready to go into the fire, I think what Peter's saying under the inspiration of the Spirit is go back to the basics. Remember who you are. Remember who you are and what's happened for you in Christ. What's happened for us is we become new creations. He's give, uh, made us alive. Uh, we formerly at enmity with God. Now we have peace with God. And he's uh, given us a living hope. What was the key? The resurrection, it's all through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was dead, but now he's alive, and he's our hope. And he's delivered us unto an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that doesn't fade away. And this is fascinating, because the writer here never really tells you what the inheritance is. When I read this, because I'm a lawyer... <laughs> and maybe you're thinking the same thing because maybe you've uh, uh, been a part of a last will and testament. Let's just be honest. Show me what's in the document. What am I getting? <laughs> and here it says we have an inheritance incorruptible. He doesn't tell you what in here what the inheritance is, but he tells you what it isn't. Or, or excuse me, he describes it. It's incorruptible. In other words, it can never be corrupted. It's always going to be there, never fade away. It's eternal. It's undefiled. It's completely pure. And it never fades away. It's always going to be there, reserved in heaven for you. Well, this might take some digging uh, in the Old Testament, but listen to these scriptures. In Numbers 18.20, 
You remember this? This is one of my favorite scriptures, I, and I think it is yours too. Uh, Numbers 18.20. Uh, Aaron uh, was the uh, priest. He's going to be the priest that's going to administer the sacrifices and, the, you know, everybody from his line, the Levitical, Aaronic priesthood, everybody's from his line. They're going to administer the sacrifices in the tabernacle, the, the temporary tent, and then the temple that was going to be built later. Aaronic priests were responsible. And they came, you know this, from the tribe of... Levi, right? Leviticus, they came from the tribe of Levi. Now listen, when people went into the promised land, the the 12 tribes, do you know that the Lord assigned land to each of them except the Levites? And remember what he said here. Remember, it's so beautiful. You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. Why, God said to Aaron, here, come here. Pay attention, because God said, I am your portion and in your, in, in your inheritance among the children of Israel. See, the inheritance for the other ones, the 12 tribes, except for Levi, was the promised land. The inheritance for the Levites, the priests, was God himself. I am your portion. And this theme runs even in the Psalms. David said it in 16, Psalm 16. Oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And then in Psalm 73, he says this, you're my portion forever. Now, what we've been talking about back in 1 Peter, he doesn't come out and, you know, explicitly say it, but he is saying it. He does say it. He's talking here about salvation and about being born again. And what he's saying is there's this, inher- uh, 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 there's this incorruptible inheritance. And I think John 17 gives us the answer, even after we've, we've examined the Scriptures. John 17.3 says this, And this is eternal life, that, you may, or that they may know you, Jesus is talking, to God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. Now, what am I getting at? Guess what our inheritance is, folks? As we are part of the royal priesthood, Peter's going to tell us, guess what our inheritance is? God himself. It's sublime. It's awe-inspiring. The inheritance we get is a relationship, is God himself. We get to be with him. We're formerly where we're here. Christ came out of the heavens and brought us here. And that is, as soon as we surrender our lives to Christ, we have eternal life. And eternal life is knowing God through Jesus the Son. You see it? Oh my goodness, our uh, uh, inheritance is incorruptible and defiled. And now, look at this, it's reserved in heaven for you. What are we going to be doing in the, what some people call the afterlife or heaven in the future when we pass from this life and go to be with the Lord or if the Lord comes and gets us first? What are we going to be doing? We're going to be face to face, Paul tells us, with the Lord. Face to face, we're, he is our portion. It's our inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's 
kept, we're kept, or it's reserved in heaven for you. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven, worshiping the Lord, who are kept by the power of God. Remember, what's this writing for? What's this letter for? For people who are going to be in suffering. And he's saying, folks, when you get in the middle of suffering, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. And remember that you are kept, not by your own strength, thank goodness, because sometimes when we're going through the suffering, don't we feel like we have no strength at all? We're kept by the power of God, by the power of God. How? 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 <laughs> through faith. Through faith. It's by dependence and trusting. It's by dependence and trusting. We're kept by the power of God. In other words, what he's saying here is, hold on in faith. Hold on. Hold on in faith, even in the middle of very difficult times. This faith, we're kept by the power of God for salvation, which is ready or ready to be revealed in the last time. Now look, when we are saved, we're saved at the moment in time. We are saved. But there's another sense in which Jesus Christ is coming back for us, rapture, we're pulled out of the tribulation, and then he's coming back to the earth with his saints, second coming. There's a sense in which that is a, I don't want to say a completion, but now, now salvation is here. We've been saved, and we're with our Savior entering into the millennial kingdom and on into eternity in a new heavens and a new earth. It's mind-blowing. And he says here, you're kept by that power. Keep believing. Okay, look at this. In verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Circle in. If you've had a suffering in your life lately, circle in. Don't miss in. He's not saying rejoice in the terrible thing or circumstance. I got to tell you, when my dad died in 2002, I wasn't jumping up and down. I was sad. It was heavy, man. I was grieved. Look down low, below. You have been grieved by various trials. Yes, that word means heavy. I was heavy. I was grieved. And yet, in it, not because of it, or uh, don't rejoice because of the death of my father, but in it, I could rejoice. I could even be exceedingly glad, that word means. Not because my dad passed away. That wasn't very fun. No, it was this, greatly rejoice, thou for a little while, if need be. And I do need you, Lord. You have been grieved by various trials. Listen to this. Something was happening. He was uh, doing something, working something in the middle of uh, my suffering. And you're suffering if you're going through it now. What? That the genuineness of your faith which is way more important or precious than even the greatest riches of the world, gold. That perishes, though it's tested by fire. What is uh, God after? That uh, our faith may be found, what? To praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, where will he find our faith. Now listen, I don't think necessarily you should think of it as getting more and more faith. Maybe, maybe not. What I think you should be thinking about when you're reading this is God's not producing a quantity of faith in you. He's producing a quality of faith in you. Are you catching it? 
you know, I hear people say, well, he's got more faith than me. I don't know if that's exactly right. I think what the Lord is saying is there's a certain quality to faith, and I want you to have it. And so one of the things that's going to happen here, even in uh, life, because you live in a fallen world, is that there's going to be suffering. There will be suffering. Uh, You reap what you sow. So if you sow to the flesh, there's going to be suffering. And then sometimes things just happen. We've talked about that. What do trials do for us? They, dis- uh, they can even uh, be sent to discipline us when we disobey. We've talked about that uh, in the past. And it can help us be uh, growing in the spirit or spiritual growth. It can help us to grow. But also, you know, another thing that suffering does doesn't do this. Come on, come on. You know, before my, one of my parents died, I didn't know how people felt when their parents died. <laughs> but, buddy, I do now. I'm able to empathize or sympathize with people in that situation when previously I couldn't. The Lord used it. He wasn't, uh, I wasn't happy that my father passed away, but good came out of it. And it made me a much more faithful person in the sense that it tried my faith. It was a tough time. It was a difficult time. And yet in the midst of it, uh, and I've written about this in my journals, there were so many great things, not that my dad died, but there were things during that time that were just God-ordained and grew my faith in the sense that it purified me. It purified me. It was a trial. It was fiery. And what I hope and what I hope for everybody that's listening here is when Jesus Christ comes back, our faith may be found to praise and honor and glory him, not to be mad at him. Not to be mad at him. Of course things hurt, and of course things are difficult, and bad times are coming. Uh, We live in a time of, uh, Jesus said, where there will be tribulation. But what is on the other side? It's a faith that's more precious than gold, praising and honor and glorifying uh, God when Jesus comes back. Well, look at this. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, verse 8, "...whom having not seen, you love." Yes, Peter had seen him. What he was saying, look, uh, uh, Jesus even said to Thomas, do you remember this? Blessed be those who haven't seen and yet believe. Remember that? And here, we haven't seen him and yet we love him because we're built upon the truth or, or our foundation is built upon the truth of the scriptures that he died and rose again and now uh, the Holy Spirit will come to live in our lives. And so for that We love him. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Though now you don't see him yet, look, you believe still and you rejoice still. What with? This word here is too big in the Greek to even be defined in the English. It's this joy inexpressible. It's a a joy inexpressible and full of glory. God can use suffering, folks. God can use suffering. In fact, Paul tells us in Philippians that he just wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and what else? And the fellowship of his sufferings. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Yet believing we can rejoice with joy inexpressible, not because of the thing that's causing the suffering, 
but because of the fellowship we're having with the Lord in the midst of the suffering, that he cares and that he knows you and we can have joy inexpressible. In fact, Paul himself, who wrote that Philippians passage, had something that was really bothering him physically. He called it a thorn, right? Do you remember this? And yet... He learned something. What can suffering do? It can help us learn godly things. And Paul uh, uh, came to know that God's grace, grace was sufficient for him. Otherwise, the only explanation is, otherwise Paul would have never learned it. You get it? Okay. Well, that's the end of uh, receiving, uh, excuse me, joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. And we talked about that. We, we talked about that. There, you're saved when you surrender your life to Christ, of course, but there's this uh, uh, thing that uh, uh, we think about in that our salvation is just, oh, the full-blown experience when Jesus comes back for his bride. Well, this, verse 10. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. If you've been following along with us on Wednesday nights, We've been going through the last part of 2 Kings and the book of Isaiah. We're only through the 12th chapter, and we see this right here. There are glimpses of God's messianic kingdom. There's glimpses of God, not glimpses, there's prophecies of God saving his people. And the prophets inquired of this and searched carefully. Look at this, Old Testament folks, prophets, you ready? The God of the Old Testament, different than the God of the New Testament? Oh, that's a bunch of hogwash. Look at this. Who prophesied of the grace. The grace that would come to you. The grace. There's grace in the Old Testament. He's talking about uh, uh, judging in Isaiah. Judging the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom because of uh, detestable things that we're doing. Including sacrificing babies on hot arms of uh, pagan idols, these big statues that were heated up. They were killing the babies. And the Lord uh, pronounced judgment on them by by, uh, countries. But he also said that there's going to be a remnant that I'm going to welcome back. Grace. They searched for this. Look at verse 11. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. All you have to do is go to Isaiah 53. Do it tonight. Go to Isaiah 53, 800 or so years before the time of Christ, and it describes the the Messiah who was the suffering servant. The one who would save Uh, them, the salvation. And they were searching for that because God had told uh, to the prophets, I'm just picking out Isaiah here because we're going through it currently. And he talked about uh, the Spirit of Christ who would appear to them beforehand and the sufferings that we'd have, but the glories that would follow, you see? In order to get a crown in the Bible, there had to be a cross. Jesus tells his followers that you and I and we are to take up his cross, or our cross, excuse me, and follow him, which means we're dying to ourself and never coming back. 
And Jesus, later in John 17, says, Lord, when, uh, I want you to give them glory, my disciples. Glorify them, and we will be glorified in this sense. We're going to get and receive and live forever with uh, a God uh, with a glorified, glorified, I'm saying it on purpose, resurrected body. Wow. And these prophets were searching for this. They were searching for it. They were hearing it from the Lord and then they were thinking about it and wondering. I don't, they would say to themselves, I don't have it all together, but man, what the Lord is doing here is he's sending a person who's going to make all things right and set up his kingdom here on earth. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, look at this in verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In other words, it seems as if that these prophets knew that the prophecies were for that day, but they were going to go forward to, or forward in time to people who were coming after them. Look, including us! And then don't, don't miss this. They're searching out things which angels desire to look into. You see, what it is is that they're looking for, what angels want to look at, it's happening right now, folks. It's happening right now. In Luke uh, 15, it tells us that when a sinner repents, there's joy in heaven among the angels. You know this. Look at this. The angels of the Lord are peering over the side of heaven, scouring Mankind and the earth for when one sinner repents and people come to salvation. It's what they want to see and they're longing for. It's what heaven is asking for is the people to come and to live there with God forever. And angels are peering over wanting to look into it too. (laughs) We live in a world that's bigger than just our little circumstances, folks. There's a world that God has for us that's big and amazing. And what Peter is writing to us, writing to them, and now writing to us, is that when you're about ready to go into the fire, go back to the basics. Figure out what you know that the Scriptures say about who you are and what's coming. Therefore, in light of all this, what should we be doing today? Moms in our homes, dads in our homes, people in our workplaces, all of us who count uh, the, uh, the Lord uh, as our Savior, what should we be doing as the bride of Christ? We should be girding up the loins of our mind. In other words, be very strategic about where my mind goes and what I think about. Don't be sloppy. In other words, Paul would tell us in Philippians, think on and meditate on things that are true and have virtue, and you know the Scripture. Don't think on dirty things or bad things. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to go to work in your mind. You catching that? Be sober or, you know, alert. And, oh, is this so beautiful? Is grace a big theme or what? Rest your hope fully upon what? What do I want to rest my hope on? Should it be the doctors who are coming out with a new uh, 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 report this afternoon? Mm Mm-mm. Well, what about the governor? Should I rest my hope on them or the politicians or a political party? No. How about the president? Should I do that, rest my hope on the president? Mm Mm-mm. Well, what about my pastor? Should I rest my hope on him? No. 
What about my spouse, my friends? Where should my, my career, my money, what should I rest my hope on? My hope, well, here's what you should rest your hope on, and it should be fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you, what? At the revelation of Jesus Christ, the the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes back. How's he coming back? By grace. It's everywhere through the Bible if we'll look for it. What's grace? Maybe I haven't said that here today. If I have, well, indulge me one more time. One author says grace is God's generous favor to undeserving sinners and needy saints. Undeserving sinners, which I was chief of, and now I'm still a needy saint. Get it? When we depend on God's grace, we can endure suffering and turn trials into triumphs. Look, here he says this. Everything that God uh, does to remove all of the impediments for us to get back to him, that's grace. And look here, he says, fully hope, rest your hope fully upon that grace that's going to be brought to you. It's brought to you now, but now it's going to, oh man, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In one sense, he's revealed to you in your hearts while we're here now. We surrender to it, that's grace. But in another sense, he's coming back. Oh my gosh, amazing. What does it do for us? It makes us obedient children. Did you catch that? Grace is never wimpy. Because of all that Christ has done for us, don't you want to uh, return your life back to him in obedience and love? Why? Because I read it to you earlier. Philippians 3.1. It's the safest and healthiest and best place to be. Yes, we want to return our lives to him as obedient children, not conforming ourselves to those former lusts as in your ignorance. That's what ungodly people do. They're lusting and they're ignorant. And Lord, help us. We need help in these areas here in the church too. But as he who called you is holy, God, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I love this one, man. Hebrews tells us to pursue holiness. So in one sense, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we are counted as righteous. But the Bible then says, pursue righteousness so that we become more Christ-like. And here's what I think is beautiful about this. Our Father is holy. Guess what? His kids will be holy too. His kids will be holy too. And if you call on the Father, verse 17, who without partiality, God's without partiality, he's not uh, uh, judging anybody by any different standards. He has a standard and he loves uh, us equally here. He judges according to each one's work. So conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. Isn't that a great way of putting it? You're just staying here, folks. We, we think, oh, that's my house, and that's my yard, and that's my car, and that's my office, and that's my pew that I don't want anybody to sit in. What? You're just staying here. It's just for a little time, like a hotel stay. You're just here. But stay here in reverence and fear, knowing that you were not, verse 18, redeemed with corruptible things. Remember this. You weren't redeemed with corruptible things. 
You weren't uh, uh, redeemed that way, bought back, purchased back from your aimless conduct, received uh, by tradition from your fathers. You see, prior to the time that I was a Christian, my life was aimless. I had no aim. Now I know very well who I am and where I'm to go. And so do you if you read the Bible. And in fact, I think that's the purpose of this chapter is so that you know your purpose. Look at this. So when you're in the middle of suffering, you're going to come through it with the Lord. You have a purpose. You're not aimless. You have a purpose. So knowing, verse 18, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But what are you redeemed with, folks? You're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. They should make that a song. Oh, they have. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What's that evoke in people's hearts who are reading this? Well, it evokes this. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, but it also does something earlier than the time that Jesus came, the Passover. They would have a spotless lamb to eat. And what does the Passover represent? Look at this. Look, look, at, look, look at what happened because the angel passed over where the blood was on the doorpost. What happened? Look at this. Two things. The people were, here it is, saved out of slavery and not killed. They didn't, weren't, there was no death. Saved out of slavery. We're saved out of sin and we have new life or life in Christ. Are you seeing it? That's what we were redeemed with, the precious blood of Christ. Oh, that we would never be flippant when we walk in here and worship the Lord because it's the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him Believe in God and listen, folks, as you're sitting here, hopefully listening and following along. I know it's long. We're almost done. Redemption is for anyone who believes. And redemption is for anyone who puts their trust in Christ. How about this? It's through him who believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God is your faith and hope in God or in other things? If your faith is not in God, but it's in other things, you know, you can do this today. You can place your trust in God so that you'll be bought back and have salvation and have new life. And in the middle of trials of which we find ourselves now and suffering for many, you'll know who you are and it won't be aimless. It won't be aimless. There'll be a purpose in the pain. There'll be a purpose in the pain. Okay, keep going with me. This is it. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Folks, if you're not loving the people of Christ, the body of Christ, if you're always upset or hold grudges and you're not loving people, you're not obeying the word here. We're to love the brethren, and not only just love them, love them fervently. So when they give you a smart aleck answer, or they, uh, whatever, somebody across the aisle sits in where you're supposed to be sitting, or uh, they cut you off in the food line, or whatever people do in the church, or talk about you, whatever, here's, here's what the Lord says. Keep loving fervently 
with a pure heart, with a pure heart, not an embittered heart. Confess your sins one to another, the Bible tells us. Have a pure heart, having been born again. There it is again. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because, and oh, is this coincidence? No, it's not. It's by the Lord. Look at this, and we'll finish up. He quotes Isaiah. First Peter, Peter quotes Isaiah here in the book. We're going through that on Wednesday nights. All flesh is as grass, and uh, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and, the f- and its flowers falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Guess what, folks? Guess what? People have doubted the word. People have doubted the Bible. People have been skeptics of the word. People have been skeptics of the Bible. People have uh, trashed it, uh, made fun of it. In fact, back in uh, AD uh, 303 or so, there was an Roman emperor. (laughs) He uh, ordered that every copy of the Bible in the Roman Empire be burned and wiped out. Guess what happened 25 years later? A new emperor was there. His name was Constantine. He actually paid for people to come in and make copies of the Bible. So in 25 years, the Lord turned it around from where even this Roman uh, Empire said, get rid of all the Bibles, get rid of all the scriptures, until 25 years later, they were actually producing them as part of government work amazing, amazing. The word of the Lord, that's the reason I'm reading you this, endures forever. What can you trust this week, these last two months? What can you trust? If you call me and you're anxious and you want some uh, 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 counseling, you just want a a word, Uh, if you call me and things uh, uh, don't feel right, you don't understand what's going on, you're worried, depressed, guess what I'm going to point you to? It's not rocket science. I'm going to point you to the Word of God because it's what you can trust. It's God's love letter to us. It endures forever. And finally, he says, now this is the Word, look at this, by which the good news was preached to you. In other words, folks, did you catch this? He's writing to the churches and he's telling them what they already know. He's telling them what they already know. You, you get that? He's preaching to them what they already know. It's the good news. He's giving them the good news again and again and again. And why is he doing it? Because he knows they're going to enter into sufferings. It's where we meet the Lord in his word. When you're doing your devotions, get your Bible out in a journal and pray and write the things that the Lord is showing you in the word. God meets us through his word. I'm going to point you there. It's the safest and greatest place to be because it's God's grace living and active in a two-edged sword, right? Okay, so listen. As we close out here, I hope uh, what, uh, you, uh, what, what your response is today is that you're not scared. You're encouraged. You're encouraged. If you're a, a, a Christian who surrendered their life to Christ, I pray that as you read 1 Peter, you would be encouraged. Because see, the hope that we have is different than the world's hope. The world's hope fades. Do you understand that? The world's hope fades. I hope so. And then it never comes. 
and then it fades. There's no hope, and that's why there's hopelessness in the world. But a Christian is never hopeless. You know why? Because even if things look bleak, there's heaviness, there's suffering, we have a settled assurance and confidence that what's coming is the most glorious of all. And we'll be serving and reigning with him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. If you want to surrender your life to Christ today, you're tired of playing games with church. You, you might, you know, just have uh, been going through the motions for 30 years or 40 years or 60 years or three weeks or whatever. The Lord just says, call upon his name. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners, fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus. It's Jesus, folks. He came to pay the penalty for our sins. He died defeating, or and rose again, defeating the curse of the law that was against us. And now he lives and, or, and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And the Bible tells us if we're, we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that he died and rose again. As we repent, as we change our mind about who we are, we are sinners and we run toward God and we confess and believe. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, we shall be saved. And according to John 3, that means we're born again. And according to uh, 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 here in 1 Peter, for born again people, our inheritance is God himself. So if you want to do that, I'm inviting you to bow your heads with me. If you're here, uh, everyone uh, listening in, just bow our heads. If you pray such a prayer, I want you to call, email, talk to us. If there's anything we can do, I want you to uh, get in touch with us. Our info will be at the end of this tape, okay? So let's pray together and let's seek the Lord because this really is a serious matter. So bow your heads, would you? Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word. It's powerful and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And even as I was teaching and preaching it here this morning, Lord, uh, you were cutting me and making surgery in my heart in the right way, in the healthy way. And I pray, Lord, that anybody who's listening, that the Holy Spirit is tugging on their hearts. I would pray, Lord, that you would um, do a work in their hearts and that they would uh, uh, turn to you in repentance. I pray, Lord, that they would pray a prayer, something like this. Thank you, Lord, uh, for who you are. And Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm repenting and turning towards you. And now, Lord, I want to count on your finished work at the cross and resurrection for my salvation. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and that I would then live for you forever. I pray these things, and we pray these things together in Jesus' holy name. And Lord, we pray for our moms out here, and we pray that you would bless them in a mighty way as they're uh, a beacon of light and grace, a trophy of grace in their homes. I pray you'd give them the resource and strength to minister to those whom they love because we love them very much, Lord, and we're thankful for them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.